It's a privilege to be here this morning. Thank you for having me here. I can assure you that in Grand Rapids, we are praying for you folks regularly. And as I was talking to Evan earlier, I started listing off all the people we know here, and I thought, wow. I kept listening, and I remembered another one, and then I'd remember another one, and I thought, wow, there's a lot more here than I realized. Um, And it's good to see you this morning, all of you, brethren. Very good to see you. Often, in order to emphasize how important something is, we'll talk about how without it, something else is useless. For instance, we have a car with a gasoline engine. No gas. What good is the car? Nice, beautiful car. Runs great. No gas. It's useless. Not any good to us without the gas. Take a flashlight, for instance. Flashlight. We have the batteries in it. Works great. Takes the batteries out. What good's the flashlight? Looks nice. Works fine. No batteries. It's not any good. Well, this morning we're going to come to something similar to that as we look at our passage this morning, a very familiar passage, one that's not new to any of you, I'm sure. But we're going to see that very concept that without what the Apostle Paul talks about, what we do has no value. Turn with me to the very familiar passage this morning of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3. It's going to be our text, which we'll read in just a moment. As we do this this morning, we're going to look at this under three very simple headings. We're going to look at the context. I'm going to take a minute this morning to set that context so that we can feel the full weight of what the Apostle's talking about here in these three verses. We'll see it both in its greater context and its more immediate context. Then we'll look at the content itself of the passage and some conclusions or application we can draw from the passage. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Before we begin this morning, let's again seek the Lord's face together in prayer. Father, we again thank you for the privilege and the opportunity of being in your house to worship you, to sing your praises, to hear your word faithfully proclaimed. Father, I ask now as I come to proclaim your word that you'd help me to proclaim it clearly and faithfully for your glory. Father, as I proclaim it to a people 
I'm not accustomed to speaking to. As these dear people hear a man they're not used to hearing, that you would give us your spirit to overcome those and other obstacles, that your word would come forth with power, that you'd use it to encourage your people, to build them up in the faith, and in your mercy and love even to reach outside your kingdom and to draw someone in among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to begin, as I said this morning, looking at the greater context. When I'm talking about the greater context, I mean, what is Paul writing this whole book of Corinthian, to the Corinthians about? What's he doing? And it's important for us to get, a, in order to get a proper understanding of what he's telling us here in 1 Corinthians 13, to kind of have a big picture idea of what's going on here in the book. Most of you, if not all of you, are probably familiar with that, but I'm going to run through it just to kind of remind us of some of the things that he's addressed in the book and hopefully use that to help us begin to focus down on the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Paul begins the book in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 addressing the Corinthians about a party spirit. The Corinthians were arguing with each other about who they followed. There becomes some division. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 11 through 15, Paul said this to them, For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each of you is saying, I'm of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Yep, some were saying that they were of Paul. Their favorite pastor was Paul. They liked him. They liked to listen to him when he preached. Some were saying, no, I like Apollos better. He's the one I like. I want to hear him preach. Some were saying, no, no, Cephas, who we also know as Peter. I like him. I want to hear him preach. And they were arguing among themselves. A party spirit had come. And Paul asked them, had Christ been divided? Had he, Paul, been crucified for them? Or were they even baptized in his name? Paul is reminding them, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not about the men. It's not about the preachers. It's not about the leaders. It's about Christ. You've lost your focus. He goes on in chapters 2 through 4 to remind them of his ministry that he'd had among them and warning them who were arrogant among them, excuse me, and warning them against those who were arrogant among them 
and refusing to listen to him. Then secondly, he goes on in chapter 5 to address the church on why they continue to have a man living among them out of gross immor- who was in gross immorality. The Corinthians become so proud that they didn't see sin in their midst. Obvious, gross sin. And Paul tells them that they needed to purge themselves in verses 7 and 8 in that chapter of the old leaven so that they might be a new lump. He continues in chapter 6 and following, talking about relationships in the church and what's happening there. Believers are suing one another. Marriages are struggling seriously in chapter 6 and 7. They're not sure about the whole issue of of meat being offered to idols. How do we handle that? What do we do about that? And Paul addresses it in chapters 8 and 9. And reminds them in chapter 10 that because of the idolatry of the Israelites, God dealt with them severely. He goes on then in chapters 11 and 12 and 14 to talk about the order of the church. He talks about head coverings, the Lord's Supper, some of the abuses taking place with it and with the spiritual gifts in the church. How should they be used? Reminding them to do all things in an orderly and proper manner. He comes to chapter 15. Maybe other than chapter 13, the more well-known chapter in 1 Corinthians. He speaks of the reality and significance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection to come. The very foundation of Christianity. Some had questioned that reality. There were those in the church there in Corinth who said, were beginning to say, now wait a minute. Is there really a resurrection? Or is that just a story? Paul had to remind them that Christ did indeed rise from the dead, and it's central to to the gospel. No resurrection, no eternal life. The resurrection was vital, and it indeed did happen. And Paul said, as a result, we shall also rise from the dead when Christ returns. Our hope is in him. Then he finishes the book with some miscellaneous instructions and exhortations in chapter 16, concluding the book by telling the Corinthians that they needed to submit to those who are in authority over them. Then we come, that's the larger context. That kind of gives us a very, very big, broad picture. What's going on here in 1 Corinthians? But what about the immediate context? What's going on right before chapter 13 and right after? I mean, if we think about it a minute, 
It's almost odd with all the things that Paul's talking about and telling the Corinthians that chapter 13 almost seems like it gets dropped in the middle of all these issues that Paul's addressing. I mean, it's kind of a strange place in some ways. And yet, there is a very specific reason that Paul did what he did and said what he said when he said it. What's the immediate context? What's happening in chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul comes to chapter 12 as well as later in chapter 14 to talk about spiritual gifts in the church. There seemed to be some concern in the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts. Apparently some wondered why they didn't have the same gifts as others did. Some said, hey, wait, he speaks in gifts. How come I can't do that? He heals. How come I can't heal? He does miracles. How come I can't do miracles? And there, began, there was some arguing and disagreement in the church. Some even t- to the place because they didn't have gifts others did began to wonder, am I a Christian? I don't have the gifts he has. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And Paul begins to, to sort that out in chapter 12. L- look with me a minute at chapter 12, verses 4 through 15, where he starts to address that whole issue. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 15. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each individual just as he wills. It had nothing to do with one man being better than another. Those gifts were given by the Spirit of the of God as he saw fit. Paul said, no, no, that's not what's going on here. It's the Spirit. And then he goes on, as you know, to use what in chapter 12? The example of the body. That the church is like a body with all its different parts, some visible, some not visible, but not one more important than the other. Each gift is crucial to the functioning of the church, even as each member of the body is crucial to the functioning of a body. No gift makes one man better than another. Christ distributes the gifts in the church as he sees fit. So Paul said, no, that's not the way this works. It's up to God to distribute the gifts as he desires and has nothing to do with one man being more valuable than the other. Now, the chapter following, in chapter 14, 
Paul again goes back to gifts. In chapter 14, he explains, talks about the gift of tongues, how it's not as important as the gift of prophecy. There seemed to be some preoccupation, for lack of a better word, in Corinth with the gift of tongues. Everybody wanted the gift of tongues. And Paul said, now wait. The gift of tongues is a good gift. It's a gift given by God. But it's not the gift you should ultimately desire. And he goes on to talk about the gift of prophecy and how much more important that gift is even than the gift of tongues. And he goes on to show how the gifts should be used and when they should be used. And then he comes to the end of the chapter telling them that whatever they do in using their gifts needs to be done in a decent and orderly manner in the church. That God is not a God of disorder, but he's a God of order. That's what comes immediately before our chapter and immediately after our chapter. Now, so we get to the content of the passage. We want to look at a couple of things here in verses 1 through 3. You may wonder this morning, well, why just go verses 1 through 3? Aren't verses 4 through 7, aren't they important? Yes, but I thought you'd only want to be here till a little afternoon and not till 1.30. So that's why we aren't going through verses 4 through 7 this morning. That's another message for, a, for another time. But we're going to look at the content of the passage this morning under two things. We want to look at, first of all, In verses 1 and 2, gifts without love. We'll look at gifts without love. And we'll look at tongues. We'll look at prophecy and faith. And then we're going to look at graces without love in verse 3, where we'll look at benevolence and self-sacrifice. So first of all, and the, as we look at the content of our passage, now seeing what Paul has kind of been talking about in the book and then immediately before and after, what is the content? What is Paul actually saying in this passage? Verse 1, he begins again, If I speak with the tongues of men, He's stating here that if he speaks in the tongues of men or languages, the languages of men. Now, remember what he's just been talking about in chapter 12 and what he's going to go back to in chapter 14. What is it? Has he been talking about preaching and, and men that stand up to preach? No, he's been talking about the gifts of tongues, right? So when we come to here to chapter 13... One thing we don't want to do that some have done, some commentators do do, is they take immediately say, oh, this tongues, this is a talking about the the ability to preach eloquently. No, I don't think that's true. As other men, not just myself, would agree, because it doesn't go with the context. It's not what Paul's been talking about. He's been talking about the gift of tongues here both before and goes back again after He's not speaking about that at all. 
He's referring to what has just been talked about, the gift of tongues. And the gift of tongues was an ability to do what? It was an ability to speak in the languages of men. It was not a gift, and it's not my purpose again this morning to get into all the gifts, or or again, we would be here quite a long time. But even as we go back to Pentecost, what did we see? We saw that men were able to speak in the tongues of other men. It wasn't gibberish. It wasn't something no one could understand. As a matter of fact, Paul even warned about that in chapter 12 and again in chapter 14. Speaking with no one able to understand. That's not something that should be done in the church. That's not profitable to God's people. It doesn't build them up in the faith. No, that's not what Paul was talking about. Here he's talking about tongues and tongues speaking in the gift of tongues that God gave to proclaim the truth in other languages. It was a sign to the unconverted of God's power, giving men the ability to speak the gospel in their own language. And again, you remember in Acts 2, the reaction of those who heard these men Some called them drunk, which I don't know how you can be drunk and talk fluently in someone else's language. But some thought they were drunk and all kinds of things because they were hearing the gospel preached in their own tongue. And that's what Paul's talking about. If I had that gift, if I had the gift to be, God gave me that gift to proclaim the gospel in other tongues, in the other languages of men, And secondly, not only in the tongues of men, but of angels. What is Paul talking about? Of angels. I didn't know they had their own language. Well, it could be that Paul's at least hinting here to something he would later talk about in 2 Corinthians 12.4. Turn with me over there just a minute. 2 Corinthians 12.4. Here are the apostles talking about his vision that he had, though he talks about it in the third person. He doesn't say, it was me. He says, I know of such a man. And as he's talking about this, we'll pick it up at the beginning of the sentence in verse 3. And I know such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. Is that what Paul was talking about possibly here? Maybe. Could well be. It may have been something else, but whatever it was, what's very clear is it was something very significant. And something that ordinarily we cannot do as men, and he could not do. Paul is here in one verse seeking to emphasize that no matter what he can speak, if it is not done In love, if I speak of the tongues of men and of angels, 
but have not love, it's useless. That gift is of no use. It's of no good. It's no good. I might as well be standing there banging on a, a big old gong. Remember, some of us are old enough to remember the gong show, right? Yeah, I see a few heads bob- bobbing up and down, most of them older. <clears throat> it's just like a big old gong, somebody smacking at a gong. Yes, it makes a loud noise, but that noise has no use, no value, no purpose. It's just a loud noise. Or like somebody taking a cymbal, and instead of playing it in a musical way, all they're doing is just banging on it, just banging on it. And it's making a loud noise. Paul said, that's the way this is. If I had these gifts, if I had the ability to speak in the tongues of men, if I had the ability to speak in the tongues of angels, but I don't have love, I'm not doing anything except standing there making a lot of noise. It's of no use. It's of no value. It doesn't benefit those to whom I'm speaking. Paul goes on then in verse 2 of chapter 13 to say not only if he doesn't have those gifts, but if I have the gift of prophecy. Again, what was Paul talking about, the gift of prophecy? Well, if we had time again this morning, we could go back to chapter 12 where he, would, he talks about the gift of prophecy and some of the other related gifts, gift of prophecy and knowledge where God gave men special revelation before he had completed his word. And he gave them the ability not only to preach the word, but he gave them the ability to understand mysteries and knowledge is related to the truth. And again, that's a, we see that back in chapter 12, verse 8, where he said, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit, and another, gifts of healings by the spirit. So Paul says, if I had the gift of prophecy, if I had this ability to understand mysteries, if I had the ability to know all mysteries and all knowledge, even if I had all that, even if God gave me the gift to, to know all of it, to understand all of his truth, all the mysteries of the gospel, and to proclaim them faithfully. Even if I had all that without love, it's not, it won't do any good. It doesn't, there's no value to it. Now, Paul valued highly the gift of prophecy. If we went on to chapter 14 and you look over there at verse 1, You'll see that right away. He tells the Corinthians, if you, if you want any gift, covet the gift of prophecy. So Paul isn't just naming something that's kind of insignificant or, or peripheral. This was the gift that Paul felt, believed, was the most important of the gifts. And he urged and, and encouraged the Corinthians to desire it. But even this gift, 
as much as important as it was, without love, isn't anything. It has no value. It doesn't benefit anybody. Paul continues, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, does that sound familiar at all? Have you ever heard any reference in Scripture to faith moving mountains? Like in the Gospels, maybe? Christ talking about that? In Matthew 17, verse 20, Jesus said that, he said, and he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, Paul is here is not, obviously not talking about faith that saves men, faith that justifies men. Here he's talking about the faith that Christ referred to here in verse 20 related to the gifts that God gave his people. For instance, what had just happened here in Matthew 17, right before Jesus talked about moving the mountains? The disciples had failed to do something. Do you remember what it was? They tried to cast out the demons and couldn't do it. Why? Jesus tells them, because you didn't have the faith. You didn't believe you could do it. You really didn't think you would be able to do it. So Paul's here, not, he's referencing a gift of faith that God gave that was related to doing miracles and healings. You remember in, in, verse, in chapter 21, verses 21 and 22, Jesus said of Matthew, Jesus said, And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, that if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Paul here is, is talking about that. He's not talking about the faith that comes to us when we put our faith in Christ and turn away from our sin. Here he's talking about the faith that comes in doing miracles. Here he's saying in verse 2, if he'd had all the gifts of faith, if he could, if he could heal, if he could do all kinds of miracles, all the miracles that, that Christ had ever done, even if he could do all the miracles, had the gifts of miracles, but he doesn't have love. There is no value in what he's doing. And what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians here is you can have all the gifts of the Spirit. You can have the gift of tongues. You can have the gift of faith, of knowledge, of prophecy, of mysteries. But if you don't have love, It has no value. It's not going to benefit 
you or anyone else. He goes on in verse 3 then to talk about the graces, two graces without love, that also, apart from love, have no value. Look what he says there in verse 3. He talks about, though I give all I possess to the poor. Benevolence. Now, some might say, well, isn't benevolence a gift instead of a grace? That could be argued, possibly, but I think it can almost also be looked at as a virtue, being generous. And we know what God looks, how God looks on the generous, do we not? Isn't God favorable to those who are generous? Does he not have a heart for the needy and bless those who help the needy? I mean, we see it throughout Scripture, Right? We go back to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 14.31, where he talks about that very thing. He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Over in chapter 19, verse 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. God views very highly those who help the needy. That's a very significant thing. It's a very important thing in God's sight. He has a special place in his heart, both for the poor and needy and for those who are generous and helps them. But Paul says it's not only being generous here. You notice he doesn't just say being generous. If I give everything, even if I gave everything I possibly could give to help the needy without love, it has no value. It has no purpose. Then he goes on to say, in that verse, at the end of the verse, and if I surrender my body to be burned, I term this self-sacrifice. Paul finishes here by saying, if he gave his body to be burned. And it's interesting that he originally, in the original, excuse me, here, that it could also be translated, if I give my body, that I might boast. And whatever the translation is, it's clear that what Paul's talking about here is even if he gave up himself, whether it's to martyrdom or gave himself to serve Christ, everything, in every way he possibly could, even if he did that, even if he did give his body to martyrdom, but it's without love, it has no value. It's no good. That's the content of what Paul has to say here in verses 1 through 3. 
Now, what do we get? What can we conclude from just the first three verses about love? Is it important? Does the apostle think it's important? I think he does. I think what Paul does here is he gives us the core of biblical Christianity. What is it? What is it that needs to characterize us as God's people? All the things there that he lists in verse 1 and 3, those are good things. The gift of tongues was a good thing in that day before the revelation of God was completed in Scripture. The gift of prophecy, knowing all mysteries and all knowledge. Giving to the poor. Giving himself to serve Christ, even to the point of death. Those are all good things. There's nothing bad about any of those things. Paul said there's only one problem. Without love, they have no value or use. In God's sight, they mean nothing without love. Jesus said what about the law when speaking in Matthew 22? What does the law hang on? Do you remember? In Matthew 22, verses 34 and 40, through 40, excuse me, 34 to 40. He said that the whole law hangs on two commandments. Love you, the Lord your God, with all your mind and heart and soul and strength. And the second commandment is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what was Jesus saying there? He's saying, you want to know, what, you want to know the, everything? You want to know all scripture in summary? You want to know it in a nutshell? The law hangs on just two simple things. Love God, love your neighbor. Get those two things down and that'll take you a long way. We need to love God and love our neighbors. It's important. But that's but then that's not the only place that Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about it again in John 13, 34 and 35. Remember what he said there. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 34. That love was the thing that really that marks out his people from others. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. How do I know he's a Christian? By what he says? By what he claims to be? How do I know? What marks him out? What marks a man or a woman out that they're a Christian? Jesus said, this is how you know. This is how you know my people. They love one another. Paul again 
mentioned it two more times in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, where we've just been. Earlier in the book, in 1 Corinthians 8, he told the people when talking about the whole issue of idols and liberty, in verse 1, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Then he said over in chapter 16, as he's concluding the letter to the Corinthians again, in verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Then we know that the Apostle Paul, when he listed the fruits of the Spirit, what was the very first one he listed? I know most of you can quote him. Love, right? Love was the very first one. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. Love is the first one in that list. Then the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 4, brings it front and center when he says, In verse 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not know God, excuse me, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We need, as God's people, to learn to love one another. And we, add, we can't do it on our own. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. But we need to do it, brethren. It's important. It's so important, it's so foundational and fundamental to being a Christian that without it, everything else we do has no purpose or value in it, in God's sight. Love is the most important thing. Paul's trying to tell the Corinthians here, wait a minute, yeah, all these things are important. All these things I've talked to you are important. But this is the most excellent way. This is the most important thing. You've got to get this. If you don't get this, the rest of what I'm telling you isn't going to make a whole lot of difference. If you can't learn to love one another, what good is the rest of this going to do? It's not going to do any good. We have to do that. We have to learn to love one another. So, first of all, what Paul's trying to to tell us is the significance and the importance of love. Secondly, one of the things he's trying to tell us related to this is is what? And it's maybe an obvious thing, maybe not. But it's simply this, that Christianity isn't just made up of all the outward I want to use the word accoutrements but that's not exactly the word I want but out of I'm simply externals Christianity is not just an external religion it's a heart religion oh yeah what Paul's trying to tell us here yes you can you can be one and have all your 
your doctrines in a row, and that's good and it's important. You can have all your you can have your confession, and that's important. We need to have a confession. We need to have a good confession that tells people what we believe. Or you can you can have a great you got this great youth group. Hey, you're good. Hey, that's great. You got a good youth group, but they, that's great. Oh, you do small groups. That's okay. So But is that what we want to be known for, brethren? Is that what the scriptures tell us we should be known for? If people were to come down the street and say, yeah, Harbor Church. Harbor Church, I know that church. What would they say? In Grand Rapids, the same about Grace Emanuel. What would they say about Grace Emanuel? Would they say... Wow, those people really love each other. Have you ever been there? You should see how they stumble over each other to love each other. Unbelievable. Or would they walk away and say, yeah, that place is kind of dead. <clears throat> Everybody kind of goes their own way and does their own thing. What would they say about us? What would they say about us in Grand Rapids? What would they say about you here at Harbor? Is it all about the externals? The externals are important. Scripture tells us that. Not saying that. But the externals by themselves won't, make, won't do it. That's what Paul was trying to tell the Corinthians. Yeah, you can have all the gifts. <clears throat> you can have all these things and be able to do all of them. Speak in tongues. Heal. Do the whole thing. Put on a great show. Without love, it's meaningless. It has no value in God's sight. Where are we? Brethren, where are we? Do we see the importance of loving one another? And you know when that gets tested? When the times get tough. It's easy to love each other when everything's going good. I can be nice to, to anybody when everything's going good. When things get tough, then that's, that's when we start to see where the rubber meets the road. That's when God tests us to see if we really do love one another. Do we? Can we do what Paul says there in verses 4 to 7? And it's almost the farther in that list you go, and again, we're not going to go through that whole list this morning in detail because of time, the harder it gets. Till we get down there towards the end, and it says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Wow. Wow. You can see why it takes the Holy Spirit. We can't do that by ourselves. I can't. I, we have to love one another. Brethren, we have to. That's what marks us out as God's people. Christ loved us. Loved us in a way that we probably cannot and never will fully grasp. He wiped out a debt of ours 
that was one we would never, ever be able to repay. And he didn't do it because we were anybody special. He simply did it because he loved us, because he chose to love us. And he says now, I want you to be like me and to love one another. And Paul says here, that's it. That's the core of it. That's where Christianity is real. You love each other. And especially when it's not easy and not convenient. And I don't feel like it. And oh no, here comes brother so-and-so, not today. That's not, God says no. Paul says no, you can't act like that. We as God's people have to love one another. That's what Christ wants. That's what he wants his church to do. Now, there may be some of you here this morning either don't have an idea of what I'm talking about, or even if you do, you wouldn't be able to simply because your faith isn't in Christ. You can't love somebody the way God wants you to apart from him and his son. As a matter of fact, not only can you not love You yourself are headed for a hell that will be void of every kind and any kind of love. And unless you put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, God's wrath will come upon you in a way that you can't even imagine. You need to put your faith in Christ and be with God's people that you might love them, that they might love you. Brethren, may God help us as his people to learn to love one another and to shine in that way for his glory so that those around, not that we might brag or boast, not that we can go around and say, yeah, look at us, but know that so people will see Christ through us and in us, loving one another. May God bless his word to us this morning. <clears throat> Let's pray.